The scripture readings this morning are Genesis 1, 1 through 5, and 1, 26 through 2, 4a. <laughs> In the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the wild animals of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, see, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life. I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. The word of the Lord. I've said this before that we are storied creatures. We uh, tell stories and we hear stories and we begin this work of telling stories and hearing stories very early on in our lives. It's how we make sense of our experiences. It's how we make sense of the world. Um, we tell stories at the dinner table. We tell stories um, in the car. We tell stories at the coffee shop. And so that means that as Christians, um, one of the really important parts of our life as Christians in our growth, um, our spiritual growth, is to tell stories of God at work in our lives. The more that we're able to name God's action in our lives, the, the, the deeper our beliefs go as well, and the more we're able to see God alive and at work within us. Last week, 
I put on Facebook, on our Facebook page, uh, a request for any of you from the congregation to send me a story, to email me a story of how you've seen God's grace in action in your life. It's not too late. There's still a couple weeks left. Um, but So I haven't received many, but this past week I, I did receive one that I would like to share with you. Um, a number of years, it goes like this. It's from a mother, a, a young mother. A number of years ago, I was at Costco. I didn't know back then, but they didn't take credit cards. You remember when Costco didn't take credit cards, only debit cards or cash or check? Only debit cards, cash, or check. I had scanned all my groceries, had a crying baby in my arm, and I couldn't pay because all I had in my wallet was my credit card. The lady behind me stepped forward, reached around me with her debit card, and swiped it and paid for my groceries. I was so thankful, she said. I asked her name and address so I could send her a check, but she wouldn't give it to me. She had the most heartwarming smile, and she just looked at me and said, God bless you. Don't you love stories like that? I love stories like that. There's something in which we, we see that reflects the, our shared humanity, a compassion and an empathy that people need and a willingness to sacrifice something for the good of another. If you have a, a story of grace in action in your life, please send it to me via email and I may share it on Sunday morning. This is what grace looks like when it's lived out. Do you know the difference between grace and mercy? I can't remember who said it. I, it might have been Tim Keller, but um, they said that, uh, that grace is getting what you don't deserve and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And I kind of like that, at least at a surface level. A guy steals a car and he takes it for a joyride and he crashes it into a tree. He gets arrested. He goes to jail. He comes before the judge on trial. He pleads his case. This is my first offense. I'll sign up for a program. I'll never do it again. And the judge decides to reduce the sentence from three years to eight months. That's mercy, not getting what he deserved. A woman can't pay for her groceries because she forgot her debit card. Somebody um, pays for her groceries for her, and, uh, and the woman does not have to pay back. That's grace. She got what she didn't deserve. And so over the next three weeks, we're going to be thinking about grace, and we're going to be thinking about grace in action, and we're going to think together about what that looks like. We're going to look at three texts that are either direct or indirectly um, uh, teach about grace in action. First of all, God's grace in action, but then also how we respond by putting grace into action in and through our lives as well. And I hope that you'll be inspired to be people who are hungry and passionate about putting grace into action in your lives. So the word grace is mentioned um, over 170 times in the Bible, and um, sometimes it refers to 
how people treat one another, our call to be gracious with one another, but usually, overwhelmingly, in fact, it refers to the character of God and God's unmerited favor for his creation. You might have heard it said that there is nothing you can do to make God love you more, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. That is the essence of grace. It is unmerited favor for us. And so this is at the heart and at the essence of God's character. If you look at the Bible here, we have these first two pages which are really, really important to the Christian community because they tell us what God had in mind from the beginning. And it was paradise. Then we messed that up. And the rest of this whole book is all recovery plan. And so that means that these first two pages are critically important for the Christian community because they tell us who God is, what God is like, and they provide insights and glimpses to how life is meant to be. And the first thing that we read right from the beginning of this story, of this great book, is is that God creates the universe. That means that God existed before anything else existed, but God chose to create the universe, and this is, in fact, God's first act of grace, creation. And he creates the stars, and he creates the sun, and the moon, and the planets, and then it focuses on our planet, and he gives us the air that we breathe, the water that we drink, the atmosphere that sustains our lives, the plants, the animals, all of these things. And then finally, he gives life to these human beings, and when he looks upon the humans, he says, it is very, very good. And he gives them partners to share in their lives together. And so all of this is the first act of grace that we see in the Bible. God making a home for humanity. That, as Gail said, that we would find a place that would be safe where we could be who we are. And within that, then, God gives us the church um, through Jesus Christ where we can create a home, a spiritual home for one another and for others. When we think about God's grace in action, beginning with creation, not just um, what happened in the beginning, but also how God continues to sustain the universe, the fundamental response to this text, to God's act of creation, our fundamental orientation toward life is meant to be gratitude. We are, in essence, created to be grateful beings. And life works best this way. Everything even that we do in worship could really be summarized with these two words. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for giving us life. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for giving us Jesus Christ in whom we will have eternal life and we find our lives. Thank you for giving us purpose. Thank you for giving us community. Thank you for giving us a church family. Thank you, God. Um, it's all pure gift. I love the way that James put it. He said, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. What I know from being a pastor is that we are really at our happiest and at our best um, when we recognize that life is a gift. When we take things for granted, we think that we're owed certain things, it 
robs us of our joy and makes us miserable. We never quite find our satisfaction. But when we look upon everything that we have, everything around us and every day as a gift from God, then we find ourselves grateful for what we have and not grateful for what we don't have. And so this becomes a basic orientation of our lives. God is gracious, life is a gift. I find that when I'm with people who are nearing death, they're going to pass away. Um, some people in the face of death are absolutely gripped with fear, which is totally understandable. And some people in the face of death are filled with resentment and bitterness um, that they're not going to have more time. But there are many people who I've, I've been with who have had this orientation of faith that says, you know what? My life has been a gift and I've lived this long and I'm so grateful for what I've had and for the life that I've had, all the great experiences and blessings that I've had. I'm thankful for the life God gave me, not ungrateful for what I didn't have. And so this is just a basic orientation of life that takes you know, someone like me an entire life to, to realize, I think. It's a journey. At the center of this creation account is, when it comes to God's grace and action, is the creation of human beings in God's image. The Latin is imago Dei, and it, uh, it means the image of God. It's first and foremost a statement of God's grace, that God is the one who created us in God's image. So it's first a statement about the character of God, but secondarily, it's a statement about who we are. That before the fall, before original sin, there was an original blessing. That we were blessed in the garden. That God created us in his image. And the recovery plan is about restoring paradise. It's about getting back to the original creation that had been lost in the fall. And so God gave human beings a special responsibility. Um, and uh, that is, he says, to fill the earth and subdue it. That doesn't mean to dominate and destroy it. What that means is to steward it, that human beings have been given the unique capacity to make moral decisions, to love, to transcend ourselves and our own needs, to care for others, um, not just ourselves, and also the capacity to put grace into action. And so at our core, at our essence as human beings, our core is, is like God. We are meant to be people who give grace. We may never be more like God than when we are putting grace into action with our time and our heart and our gifts, our work. And so this becomes a fundamental orientation for what we were created to do. A couple weeks ago, I was um, speaking with a member of our church who recently retired a couple of years ago, and he's very healthy and active, and what he realized was, uh, what he shared with me was, I, I, I knew I'm gonna, I was going to retire soon, and I really loved my job. It was a, a wonderful career, and it gave me a lot of purpose in my life um, for, for my gifts and my skills, and I was afraid that when um, I retired that I know there'd be lots of fun things to do and things to keep me busy, but I was afraid that I wouldn't really ha find an, a sense of purpose. Theologians will call this part of your life the third third of your life. What are you going to do with a third third of your life? And that's because the b theologians believe that if you're not dead, you're not done. 
according to the scriptures. So we all have purpose for our whole lives. And he said, went on to say that I, as I've gotten involved in serving in the church in various capacities, I have found a renewed sense of purpose that has given me so much joy that I was not expecting to have in this season of my life. Of course, he's going to enjoy traveling and all those other things. But what he was asking was, how can I use my wisdom, my experiences, my skills uh, to, to put grace into action on behalf of God and to God's glory? I've said this before, and I'll say, uh, I'll say it probably many times because we so easily forget. But when God wants to do something in the world, he doesn't usually send angels down with wings or without wings or supernatural beings to come and do God's bidding for, for him. That's not how it works. God doesn't set up the laws of nature and then frequently suspend those laws in, of nature that he created uh, in order to solve our problems that we're not really good at solving ourselves. That's not how God works. God's primary way of working in the world is through people, through his children. Um, and so we become the instruments that God uses to answer other people's prayers. This is a really profound idea. This thought that, that somebody says, God, please help me. And what happens then is that, some, that God might put it on your heart or on your mind to go and help someone. And you go and, and help that person and, and realize that then you are becoming the answer to that person's prayer. Someone else's need. This is how God often works in the world. And, and so that means that we are in training in our daily lives to pay attention, to notice the movements of the Holy Spirit within us and around us. Uh, training to perceive, to see. One person wrote to me something related to putting grace into action um, this past week. She said, I turned 34 this year. And I decided that for my 34th birthday, I was going to do 34 random acts of kindness, one for each year of my life. And she said it was rewarding to others, but mostly to me. I like that. It was rewarding to others, but mostly to me. It felt so good to be gracious to other people, strangers even. So today, as I mentioned, we kick off our Grace in Action campaign here at Mount Olympus, where every fall where we think about, we celebrate the ministries of the church, and we think about how um, those of us who call this church home, and this is our spiritual family, how do we want to contribute to the mission and ministry of the church? How is God calling us forward, um, both in terms of how we might think about our giving financially, but not only that, really how we might want to serve and where we want to get involved and there will be an area of interest form that will be around in the next week or so, and you can take a look at that and, and pray about that. Um, and we take some time to reflect on, on our church, and we plan, um, hopefully wisely, how God might want to use all of our collective gifts of time, talent, and treasure to further his purposes in the world. This is not for those of you who are visiting or new to the church, but really for those who call this church home and your family. Um, you heard a little bit of, from Jared about what God's 
been doing in the life of our youth ministry. You'll hear about children's ministry. You see the children running around, but I just want to share a few things. Uh, we brought back our uh, family retreat this year for the first time since prior to COVID, and there were over 75 people in one big house in Bear Lake, um, uh, children, youth, and their parents, and we all worshiped together in one crowded, chaotic space um, and broke off and had lots of programming and Bible studies and the olders served the youngers and it was this wonderful time. But that's just like next generation ministry. Our adult ministry leaders are constantly trying to help people grow in their faith to be covered in prayer, and to come to know the God of the Bible. And that's why we have a discipleship class that's pretty active on Sunday mornings for adults. We have um, a, a Tuesday morning men's Bible study, a Thursday morning's men, men's Bible study, a Wednesday night women's Bible study, a Thursday morning women's Bible study. You can tell we like the Bible around here. We have a Presbyterian women's group that it's very active in, in justice and advocacy work. Uh, locally and around the world, and they also make beautiful prayer shawls. They made a prayer shawl for the director of our child care center who wore it um, when she sat with her husband as he was receiving chemotherapy at Huntsman um, not too long ago. Uh, they, they do they, all kinds of things. We have a senior adult fellowship that, by God's grace, has been able to resume meeting in person once a month. Um, and the second uh, gathering was here just this past week on the second Thursday of every month. We have a support group that uh, provides support and care and prayer for those suffering with chronic conditions. We have a Stephen ministry program that provides one-on-one -on -one trained care for people who are going through uh, difficulty in their lives. I think about our deacons uh, who put meals together for folks in need. They provide transportation if someone uh, needs to get to the hospital. They're putting together a, a luncheon for the 15 new, um, people who were in our new members class yesterday uh, for this afternoon. I think about the ways in which we serve our local community, and that might be one of the things that Mount O is, is largely known for here in Salt Lake. Um, every month we serve at the rescue mission and we provide worship and a message for the residents of the Salt Lake Rescue Mission. We volunteer and serve at the Utah Food Bank once a month. We make sandwiches once a month for St. Vincent de Paul Soup Kitchen. We collect goods for Crossroads Urban Center. During the holidays we provide gifts for children with incarcerated parents and we provide um, Operation Christmas Child gift boxes that get sent around to children around the world. This is how we co-create with God um, to make a world that, that he intends um, to have in a, in a community of faith. This coming June, there will be 45 people from Mount O who are going to Kenya to serve on mission, seeking to put grace into action. There will be, um, uh, our youth will be providing a vacation Bible school program for over 100 kids at an orphanage there. Um, we will be running a, uh, a couple of um, medical clinics in this 
particular slum here known as Mathari, one of the most destitute communities in the entire world. And so our nurses and doctors will be serving. We'll be um, working on uh, solar panels, teaching music, um, spending time with teenage mothers whose children are in the nursery. All of this is grace in action, and what's amazing is that they're going to be putting grace into action by receiving us, extending their hospitality, sharing their faith, their resilience, their fortitude, their courageous faith with us, as well as their music and their gifts and beautiful culture, and as well as their land. This is all possible because of this church's commitment to mission to vibrance, to serving. It's all possible because of your generous prayers and support. When I think about one big example uh, where we see, where we have seen grace in action at this church in a really significant way in this past year, I just want to share this with you because it's really beautiful. Through a beloved member of our congregation who passed away this year named Adele Watts. Many of you know Adele, knew Adele Watts. Some of you knew her very well. Um, and uh, about five years ago, she stood up here in the fall when we were thinking about these. I wasn't here at the time, but thinking about our giving and whatnot. And she said to the, to the congregation that she wanted to um, uh, put her estate, her, her, leave her estate in her will to Mount Olympus Church. Um, she, she uh, didn't have much on which she lived, but she had an enormous heart. She didn't have much in the way of biological family, but this congregation was her spiritual family, and she called it home. And so she shared this intention with, with the church that she wanted to do this. And sure enough, shortly after she died, we were notified by her brother, who is an attorney and the executor of her will, that she had, in fact, donated everything to this church, except for just a few incidentals. This included her house, her uh, retirement, and her house was paid off. The total is around $500,000. And she identified it, and this was just um, recent, recent months. She identified in her will 100% of these funds to be specified in three words, mission trip scholarships. Now that provides a leadership challenge, a wonderful leadership challenge. It also shows us her heart. Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where was Adele's heart? Adele's heart was that her beloved community of faith in, in, uh, in Christ would have the opportunity to experience the joy of putting grace into action through mission service. Her heart was literally to give everything away so that you could be the answer to other people's prayers for generations to come. Now that doesn't mean that everyone is called to go to Kenya, of course not. Some are called to go to Kenya, but all of us are called to pray about God's mission throughout the world and to serve where we can. 
And so at the climax of these three weeks on Reformation Sunday, our third graders will get their Bibles and, and those of you who call this church home will turn in your giving cards prayerfully as an act of worship and an act of trust. And when we do this, it builds our faith in the God who provides for us. Um, so the letter, you'll get a letter for those of you, those of you who will get the letter, will get a letter. <laughs> those of you who get the letter will get a letter um, in the week. And it points out God's generous role as, as world builder and homemaker and asks us to think of our church community in a similar way, as a little world in which we build in our role as ones made in God's image, who is always building and mending and repairing and creating. So I want to invite you this week and in the weeks to come to grow in the grace of giving your heart, giving yourself to the sake of the world in the way of Jesus Christ. God has given us everything in Christ. And not just your finances, but your heart, your time, your prayers, your talents. How grateful we are for God's marvelous grace in our lives and the joy that we can have in participating in his work in the world. It gives us great purpose for our lives and it allows us to create a home that is safe um, and, and inspiring for people to grow up knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. God, thank you for thank you for your marvelous grace. Thank you that you are a God who not only created the world, but you didn't leave it alone. You sustain it, and you, you sustain each of our lives. How grateful we are that you love us no matter what we do. And so we pray that, uh, that you will give us hearts of gratitude, that we might recognize the gifts that you give us each and every day. And as we practice gratitude and practice putting grace into action, that you fill us with the joy of the gospel, that we might live in the kingdom here and now and for all eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.